My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this episode, we talk with Arij Abu Ali, SEO manager at Zoopla and founder of Women in Tech SEO. We discuss how she moved from Egypt to London to study computer engineering and business IT, how that led her to find a passion for technical SEO, her experiences at agencies and why she likes in-house, biggest SEO challenges, and much more. In the news, we talk about Google's news that temporary store closures now won't hurt your search rankings and structured data for COVID-19 announcements, as well as the SEO plotline on Tiger King. Finally, we deep dive into diversity, talk about Arige's experience as a woman in SEO, discuss how she founded the Women in Tech SEO group and turned it into an amazing conference, and discuss advice on how we can gain better gender balance in the industry. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Arige's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody, this is Jacob Stoops, and you are listening to episode 48 of the Page 2 podcast. We are coming into the train station. We are nearing the end of season two, uh, which will end uh, at episode 50 later this month. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're it's crazy. I can't believe we've made it to 50 episodes to begin with, but uh I think we're coming up on a, a much needed break in uh, in our hectic schedules. And the voice you heard was my co-host, Mr. Jeff Luella. Jeff, how's it going? I mean, spending lots of time with the family. We're now sheltered in place. So I get to uh, enjoy more time sitting behind my computer. As an introvert, <laughs> as an introvert that is not a bad thing. <laughs> So other people right. in my family are going a little nuts right now, but at the same time, they, they just went bike riding. I told them to go to a business park because there's no one there and you can <laughs> ride around the business yeah. park and that's what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so. I would say we're in the, we're in a similar situation where I, um, I work from home, obviously. I think everybody, uh, maybe people know that, maybe they don't. I, I can't remember if I've said that on the show before, but I've, I work from home. I've been doing it for, for many years, so I'm used to it. My wife, who is a teacher and working in you know one of the more highly affected industries, um, is now working from home and having to do all of her stuff online, which is an incredible uh, incredible challenge for them. And then my son is in first grade and they are, they're out of school pretty much until the end of May with the exception of the fact that they're having to do online learning. So we're, uh, my daughter also a preschooler is out of school, so we don't want her to miss learning. So we're homeschooling them. And, um, and then we've got a, a 10 month old coming up on 11 months. So like we're going, we're going a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, and there's no end in sight. There's no end in sight. Yeah, we're out of school till August now. So, yeah, I never really thought we were going back to school. 
Um, but let's let's bring in our guests. So we have a very special guest today, uh, the founder of Tech SEO Women, uh, Miss Mrs. Right, uh, Areej Abu Ali. How are you doing, Areej? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Really, really excited to be featured on this podcast. And we're excited to have you. And I feel like I almost just had uh, a very uh, uh, stupid but in, uh, maybe important gaffe. You're you're married, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I never like, I, you know, I never know, should I refer to her as Miss, Mrs., uh, just say her name. And then sometimes I get stuck in the middle like you saw right there. And it just uh, makes me completely fall on my face. So I said both. So I was equally offensive and not offensive. <laughs> it's okay. Good start. Good start of the of the show. <laughs> right, right. I don't worry. I've started off worse. I've started off worse. I uh, I've definitely mispronounced uh, people's names and been called to the carpet almost immediately, which was like great. We're two minutes into the show. Great start. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, we were talking before this, but how are things uh, over over in London? I you know I hate to start yet again talking about uh, the impact of COVID nineteen, but it's really almost impossible not to start with it. So how are things going over there? Um, yeah, it's it's going. Uh, we're we're ten days in lockdown, official lockdown here in the UK, um, and with my company, we've been working from home for about three weeks now. So just getting adjusted to how things are um, and just doing our part in terms of staying at home. Yeah, that has been, uh, that has been the, the hard part, uh, getting used to kind of a new lifestyle and, and the idea that um, it's affecting literally every single person almost on planet Earth, uh, which is um, almost unlike anything I feel like I've ever seen in my in my entire life. There's not a single person that is not affected. In those times when you do and are able to get out, um, I hate to say it like this, but even things like going to the grocery store almost feels a little bit like Russian Russian roulette, uh, <laughs> where it's a little you know just a normal everyday thing is uh, is actually a little scary. Like you you know you're walking out and you're going. Um, or at least I'm going, this is how I'm feeling. Like, is today the day that I'm going to go into the grocery store and randomly touch something without knowing it and two days later get sick? So I think that that's the the reality that I think everybody's facing and hearing some of the stories that are coming out and that are, um, at least in my case, I don't know about your cases, uh, increasingly coming closer and closer to home. Um, It's it's a little, it's a little scary. You know, you're hearing stories of people with family members uh, getting sick and passing away and not being able to be in the same room and having to say your goodbyes. And this is incredibly sad. So I'm sorry, I'm taking the, <laughs> taking the show here, but um, it's, a, it's also pretty real not being able to say your goodbyes in person and having to do it over like a, a Skype or a video chat or a zoom or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I just can't, like, I've thought about that. And, you know, I heard also a story of a man, I think maybe I can't remember what state it was in where he withheld his symptoms to see the birth of his child. And he's now actually being uh, brought up on charges because he withheld his, his symptoms. And I keep thinking like, gosh, if I was ever in a situation like that where, you know, God forbid, like one of my kids got sick. I don't know if there would be anything that would be able to stop me from being there. Like I would have to probably just be physically restrained. 
um, from being there with them. So that I just, when you hear yeah. stories like that, it's, it's hard um, to, to, to not feel sad and empathize, but it's really, in my opinion, it's hard to like understand what those people are, are going through. And it's, it's hard not to be uh, worried. It, it's, it's troubling times for sure. Yeah. And I think we just all have to do our part, right. And stay mm-hmm. at home. And I think the one, the one positive out of this is that it kind of feels like a lot of communities are coming much closer together. I barely yeah. ever knew my neighbors um, and they all started sending notes around. And we now have like um, a WhatsApp group that we're all in together to kind of help one another out. So I think that's, right. that's the positive that's kind of coming out of it is that a lot of communities and neighborhoods are coming together more. Right, because it affects everybody. And we, I see the same thing too, where even though it's global and, and I do worry about every other country out there, it's, it affects local, um, mm-hmm. with local shutdowns of businesses. And um, you take for granted on that little shop that you go to to pick up cheese or to go pick up um, any type of supplies that, because like, I like to shop, the small shops, they're the ones that are affected the most. I mean, mm-hmm. the big guys out there are, are affected, but they're the ones that are kind of going to be able to, they'll be all right at the end while those, the little shops that might just be scraping by are the ones that, that um, are really having an issue. And I've been trying to do some work for, for a couple of them. And uh, it's, one is tough getting time, but I realized like now that I have like carte blanche to do like, like an SEO audit for somebody like, and it's like, how do I, how can I make him really quickly and knock them out so I can help as many people as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's been an interesting time. And I've been trying to like someone who doesn't know SEO. Cause I feel like I get hired by people who kind of understand SEO um, for someone who has no clue anything about it. It's like, how do I create a deliverable that they're going to understand and not just have like, like here's a, you know, a certain metric that we talk about all the time, like what's a session or something like that. Like they might not even know. Um, I helped somebody get analytics on their site the other day because they didn't even have analytics. Cause I asked them like, do you know how many people come to your website? And they're like, no clue. And I was like, all right, let's get you into to search console. Let's get analytics on there. And, and now they're like, now they have questions, but I, I like they have to take, I can help them so far, but it's like, here's a resource to teach you what like a session is and things like that. So, so some of them have to, to like reach out on their own cause I don't have unlimited time. Um, but I'm trying to, to help out as much as I can locally with just helping people stay in business or at least understand. And if this business fails, they learn. And, and when they start another business, they'll have some more things in their pocket. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in the industry have been doing a lot of that lately. And I feel like even with the smaller or more local um, type of businesses, even helping them with something like their Google Maps settings or updating their opening and closing mm-hmm. hours or, or even helping them um, integrate Shopify to their website. So it's just the simple things. And the more that we can help implement some of this stuff, the, the easier and more helpful it might be. And Jeff, you just reminded me of my, my father-in-law. <laughs> oh, funny story. So yes, he, yeah, there are many cases where small business owners are not, um, not savvy with respect to the internet. My father-in-law is one of those, one of those cases. So he owns a couple of restaurants. Um, he's kind of a self, self-made man. And, um, you know, unfortunately with, with the restaurant, restaurants closing down, you know, they've had to, um, short staff, uh, you know, a lot of people cut staff, um, and they're moving to kind of the carry out, uh, the carry out system. So, uh, we have been trying to do, so I'll, I'll go back. I'll say one of the benefits of having a father-in-law who is a restaurant owner, and he says this himself, so I don't feel as bad. 
uh, is that when we go into his restaurants in normal times, uh, we don't usually have to pay for our dinner because he owns the restaurant. So it's just on, on the house. Um, but it recently, because we want to make sure that we're supporting the restaurant, supporting the people that work there, supporting the families, like we're actually, we're, we're paying. Um, and, and even though he's telling us guys don't pay, we're basically saying, screw you, dad, we're, we're paying your take our, you're taking our money, our money, whether you like it or not. Um, that's, that part's neither here nor there. Um, he's had to kind of adapt and, uh, you know, put up temporary menus on his website. And the other day we're trying to, uh, you know, place a carryout order via the phone. So we had trouble navigating uh, his, his website and I don't run his website. It's run by um, uh, the son-in-law of his other uh, business partner. And we come to find out, so we did a Google search and we found what was clearly an old, old, old version of his menu. And we tried to explain it. <laughs> we tried to explain it to him and he just was not understanding until I said, Tim, just stop, stop what you're doing. Stop arguing with me. It's there. I can see it. Google has crawled your site and they've indexed that old menu. And for whatever reason, you didn't get rid of it. So it's there. People are finding it. Just go to Google and search your restaurant name and you'll see it. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. I promise. Um, and then finally he saw it and it was, we had a little ha ha moment and he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to send that to Nate who is the, the son-in-law of his business partner and got it fixed. But it was just like, it's just that kind of crazy stuff that is just coming up, coming up now. And yeah. Can't imagine you know, trying to navigate it without being tech savvy. Anyways, so people probably, again, as I've said, probably for the last four shows, aren't coming here for all of their, uh, all of their good COVID-19 discussions. Uh, they are coming here for SEO. So uh, one of the things I've shared is we've, uh, we've uh, really surpassed our, our growth goal for this season. We set out a goal and we'll share more about what that goal was. It's not an astronomical goal, um, but we've beat it. And, and we do want to thank uh, those people that have listened. Uh, we're very excited about it. But uh, because we are still a small show, I do want to explain for first-time listeners kind of what the basis of our show is and how it's a little bit different than a normal SEO podcast. Uh, so normal SEO podcasts, and there aren't a lot of them, um, but in a lot of cases, uh, quite honestly, it's, it's knowledge, knowledge uh, dropping the entire time. Uh, and that's not us. I don't think... Uh, any of us would ever claim to be the best or the smartest SEOs in, in, in the world. I think we're pretty good at our jobs, but um, I would never claim to have all the knowledge. So when I was starting a podcast uh, in terms of trying to think about what was going to be the differentiator, um, I said, okay, like, I don't want to be that, nor am I trying to be that. Um, but there's this thing about SEO where nobody really gets into it on purpose, especially if you've been doing it for a long time, because in the traditional education system, and by that I mean colleges, right? Um, they teach digital marketing, but they don't get deep and they don't get deep into SEO. So a lot of people that are coming out with digital marketing degrees, uh, they don't really know that yes, they, they know, maybe know that SEO is a thing, but they, they, they don't come out ready to do it. Um, and the people that have been in, in the industry for a long time, because that wasn't in place, are 
almost constantly falling into it from other places, right? Nobody intends to get into SEO. You just fall into it. So this podcast was kind of created to explore those origin stories. And not only that, to really dive deep into um, what it's like day to day just to be an SEO and to go through the trials and tribulations and um, just the overall experience. And I didn't feel like a lot of podcasts were really diving into that particular component of it. And I find that part really, really fascinating uh, to know that there are other people like me. And as a listener, I would, I guess I would liken it to um, being uh, like a fly on the wall when a client maybe leaves the room to hear what SEOs really talk about, right? So it's a little bit of an insider's perspective on the day-to-day life of an SEO. Uh, this season, and we're, we're probably getting rid of this component of it, but we've added a segment to talk about SEO news. Uh, and that segment, because news, uh, big news in the SEO industry seems to, to come kind of few and far between and the information gets dated really, uh, really pretty quickly. Um, we're probably going to move on from that, but that decision has not been made. Jeff and I will talk after, after the season, but it's basically a forum yeah. for Jeff, Jeff to, to narrate the news and me to yell about how, how Google's evil and uh, all of the problems that I, that I have, with, <laughs> have with them, even though I'm dependent on Google to have a job. Um, and then the, the, third, uh, the third component of each episode uh, is a deep dive where we kind of just have a roundtable discussion about a predetermined topic. In today's deep dive, uh, we're going to dive back into diversity because I think Areej has some uh, very poignant uh, thoughts and experiences on that very subject. So that's the format. Um, Nobody wants to listen to me continue to continue to talk, and I've done a lot of talking already. So, Areej, I'm going to kind of kick it over to you. Um, and, you know, my hope is for you to kind of tell your story, who you are, where you come from, how you got into SEO, and just kind of take us through it. Uh, yeah, so I'm Areej, <laughs> and I'm Egyptian. I moved to the UK um, over six years ago now. Um, and I've been doing SEO for six years. Um, so I have a background in computer engineering. That's what I studied back in uni. Um, and then afterwards, I did a master's in business IT. And that's when I kind of came across this idea of digital marketing. Um, and for me, it was SEO just felt like that bridge between both computing and digital marketing. It was just this nice thing right in the middle. And when I first started reading about it and kind of getting into it, it just felt like something that I've always wanted to do. I've always enjoyed how different it was and how it was constantly changing. I think that was, I always found that quite challenging and I still do until now. So it doesn't get boring. It's something that's constantly exciting. And yeah, I started off agency side. I did agency side for a bit over five years. Um, and now I'm client side. I work for a property aggregator site here in the UK. Um, so yeah, that's kind of um, a little bit about me and what I've been doing. So what made you go from Egypt to the UK? Uh, so I moved to do um, my degree, my master's okay. degree. I got a really good scholarship in it. Um, and I'd, I'd been to the UK for quite a few times. We were doing, um, back when I was a student, it was like those um, student exchange things where we'd go for a week and um, people from different countries and it, it was it was really fun we'd go 
and meet in the forest of Dean in Gloucester for some reason. Um, we had like a lot of retreats there. So I'd come twice back when I was a student and I just remember loving how green the UK was. Um, and I was convinced that all of the UK is going to look like that, but that wasn't the case afterwards. <laughs> um, so I was always really excited about moving to UK. And also I was a massive Harry Potter geek since I was a kid. So again, I was convinced that this is what the UK was all about. So I always had it in mind that I'd love to move here someday. You mean there aren't just witches and wizards flying around everywhere and, and there's no Hogwarts? Yeah, and I was convinced that everyone had a BBC English accent. That's what I used to call it. And then I found out no, because when I moved here, I moved um, to a city that's very close to Birmingham. And Birmingham, they have very, very heavy Birmingham accents that sound nothing like BBC English accents. And so that was a lie as well. <laughs> the funny thing is one of our guests, uh, Luke Davis, uh, I believe episode 45, um, he came on. And so he moved from the UK over to the US for a little while uh, to Atlanta. And then he eventually moved, uh, moved back. But he was talking a little bit about the, the culture shock. And not only that, but the idea that people uh, over there made fun of him for his accent. And then he changed it to kind of an American accent and nobody, nobody noticed, which I, I found quite, uh, quite crazy and, and quite odd. But I guess uh, being a stupid American, I guess it kind of makes, makes sense that, of course, they wouldn't pay attention to that. Um, what, was there any sort of culture shock from you going from Egypt to the UK or were they a lot nicer than Americans? Um, I think um, the thing, it's just the things, the little things that I discovered, like I was obsessed with pot noodles and microwavable food in my first year. That That is not something we had at all in Egypt. And I couldn't believe that you could just heat up food within 30 seconds and eat it. For me, that was just completely beyond me. Um, there wasn't anything that trucking. Um it just felt like home. And that's why I kind of decided to stay afterwards. Um, I really, really like it here other than the weather and the gloominess and how gray it can be and how much it rains. Um, I really, really like the UK. And I think everyone here is really nice. Uh, my siblings live in the US. They've been there for quite a while. I go visit them at least once or twice a year. Um, I like the food in the US because I feel really guilty after I eat it, but I know that I'm going to eat it temporarily. So it's okay. Um, and I yeah. love the massive malls that you have, but I just do not picture myself living there because I don't know how to drive and you have to drive to be able to live in the US. So I would really, really struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we everything's so spread out here in the country. Like it's, it's so sprawling. Um, I can't even imagine what, you know, if you think 300 or 400 years ago when people were kind of first settling here, what they might have thought, uh, you know, when they come from, you know, your European uh, countries where you can get to another country in a day. Uh, I feel like in, in the US, you can drive for four or five days, you know, straight and still not make it to the other to the other side. It's it's crazy. And even in even in city environments, you've got the core of the city, which I would say is probably very similar to like especially in a big city like a London, right? But then you yeah. get out to the the suburbs and, um, you know, everything just is so spread out that you, you pretty much can't get anywhere without driving because it is so oh, spread yeah. out. And if you get out past the suburbs <laughs> into the country part, there's, yeah, there's definitely no Uber or anything out there either. No. So. 
no Uber where I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would even say probably even to this day, because obviously Uber wasn't a thing, but uh, you know, there were no, no taxis, nothing like people would have looked at me, looked at me. They probably would still, if I went, cause I come from a very, very small, small town in Ohio. Um, if I went there and tried to get an Uber, um, the probably closest Uber would be probably Columbus, Columbus, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah. I don't know. Small town. Anyways. Um, uh, so you've spent some time, uh, a considerable amount of time on the agency side, uh, but now you're kind of in-house. So when we have people that have done both, we always like to ask, which is, you know, which is your cup of cup of tea to use a British, British term, uh, which, which is your cup of tea? Um, so in-house is definitely less stressful, which I really need in my life right now. Um, agency was definitely stressful, um, crazy deadlines, unhappy clients, um, just, yeah, super last minute demands. Uh, so that was, that, that kind of took, took its toll on me. Whereas in-house, it's interesting because it kind of feels like everyone's working for the same goal. So everyone's achieving everything with one aim, um, my my other thing with agency as well is the more senior you, you become, the more salesy you need to get. You need to um, you need to become some form of like business development uh, person where you're trying to pitch and you're trying to grow retainers and so forth. And that's not really something I enjoy doing very much. Whereas in house, it's all about getting sucked in and really going into a level of detail that you're usually not able to do when you're agency. You also have access to so much more data when you're in-house um, and you get to work really, really closely with your product and engineering team, which is something I really enjoy. Whereas when you're agency, sometimes you, you don't even get to talk to any of the engineers who might implement some of your stuff. So yeah, definitely in-house is my cup of tea, but I've only been there for about eight months now. So my answer might change soon, <laughs> but for now it's in-house. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. You just brought up every point every point of reasons why I ever thought to go in-house was everything you just brought up. I've always worked in an agency side and I'm, I just feel sometimes owning, like being able to own a product, everyone working for the same goal and, you know, actually being friends with someone else's development team and <laughs> things like that, where they're not just like, get out of here SEO. They're like, we're trying to make more money so we can all have jobs and, and get raises. So I think it's actually, uh, it's one of the reasons why I like it. Though I like the craziness on, on the agency side too. So I, I do sometimes like to go crazy. So. Yeah. I, I think it's like a personality thing. And I've talked about this before with respect to, to me um, and my experiences. So I've been doing this for 14 years. Um, and I would say 80% of that time has been in what I just, I just generally call it agency world because it's just like a whole, it's like just a whole other thing and world and, and it contains all of the things that you mentioned, you know, the pressures um, and the, the different goals. And uh, in some cases, although I would say probably both sides, you know, include a certain amount of politics uh, that are involved, but you're navigating uh, in agency world, you're not just navigating your own internal company politics, you're navigating the client's uh, internal company politics. And by the way, if you've got four clients or six clients, you're doing that six times over, um, which is why implementation, I say, especially on the agency side is, is always the most difficult, uh, difficult challenge, not just implementation, but correct and timely implementation is, um, is a tremendous challenge that you have to get over. 
um, on the agency side. But uh, where I was where I was kind of going is I kind of feel like it's a it really is a personality thing. And I found you know being in house a couple of times. You're right. There is nothing quite like being able to uh, go a couple of desks over and you know lean over the developers. Um, shoulder while they implement your recommendations so that you can help them troubleshoot right on the spot. Uh, And there's nothing like diving deep, uh, really, really deep into, um, into the data and into your work and into that particular business without having to worry about changing gears, uh, you know, several times a day to focus on several different clients or several different industries, right? There are a lot of pros. Um, For me, the cons ended up being uh, one, like if you get an in-house role where you just don't feel like you fit with the team or like you do, you do all the work uh, and you get to a point where like you've, you've taken it almost as far as you, as you can, uh, it can become repetitive. And to some degree um, in my experience, the couple of times uh, a little, a, a little not as fast paced as I, as I liked um, we I feel like we did great work, but just wasn't my cup of tea. And I found, and I do find that the challenge and um, sometimes the thrill of the agency uh, lifestyle, that it just fits me a little bit better. It's not for everybody, um, but it just, for me, it fits. And I find that like, depending on your personality, you can be one or the, uh, or the other. I think for me, like my recommendation for people who are always starting off in SEO is to definitely go agency side initially because the wealth of things that you learn when you're agency side, Mm -hmm. the different audits that you do and the different industries you deal with and all the different case studies that you see, you're just not going to get it if you start your SEO career in-house. Because with in-house, it's always going to be one example, one form of data, one type of auditing, one team and so forth. Whereas with agency, you just get so much variety with that. So definitely for people starting off in SEO, I tend to recommend an agency role. Yeah, it is good to get um, get ex- exposed to that because it it is it can be in, in intense, but at the same time, um, I've I've found that probably there's no there's no great way to say this. You're you're exposed to more cutting edge stuff because you're exposed to more industries and you're kind of forced into more, uh, more things. Um, whereas, you know, if you're in house, it's just, you're exposed to one client, one industry, um, you've got, you know what you have to do. It's, it's probably not changing, uh, you know, super rapidly. Um, although I say that (laughs) in the COVID-19 era where everything's changing rapidly. Um, yeah. So Arij, um, I guess, what have been some of your biggest challenges just being kind of existing as an SEO day-to-day? Yeah, I think one of the things um, you touched on in terms of implementation, so I've had challenges with this both from an agency and an in-house perspective. Um, I specialize as technical SEO, and that's always been uh, the thing that I've enjoyed doing the most. And with technical SEO, it doesn't matter how amazing your analysis is or how amazing the number of recommendations you give or how on spot everything might potentially be. If things don't get implemented, then at the end of the day, it's absolutely pointless. Um, and 
that's something I had a lot of problems with when I was agency side because there's only so much you can do and there's always um, a restricted amount of time in the retainer that you're allowed to give to your clients. Um, and it just, it always felt so slow and other things got prioritized. And it's funny because when I moved in-house, I started realizing why a lot of that was ignored because in-house are trying to deal with a lot of their own battles as well. And they've got tons of product features and things that they need to navigate and implement. A lot of my in-house time is actually spent helping out the product team with new features and new pages and things like that, that they're going to push as opposed to here's a bunch of recommendations. Here's what you need to fix type of thing. And I think when we're agency, we just don't have that insight in terms of mm. why things are potentially slow. And for me, I feel like it took me maybe a few years to finally understand that I can't keep doing these technical SEO audits and handing over 50 recommendations to be done. It took me quite a while to understand that if, if you don't prioritize what needs to be done and and if you just simply go with them and dump a whole bunch of stuff, then nothing will get done. Instead, even if it's just one thing, but one really important thing that would make a difference for them in terms of their indexability or their rankings or their traffic or so on, then that's the one thing you should recommend. And then everything else can just follow after rather than to be happy with a 50 or a 60 page audit that just goes into such depth of detail with a lot of stuff that might not be very high priority. So I think for me, that's probably been something that took me quite a while to learn. But now that I've learned it, it's making um, things a little bit easier and also just kind of setting your expectations a little bit. Don't, don't go in with super high expectations in terms of, yeah, this is a two-month project and it's going to get turned around that quickly. That's, that's not usually the case. Yeah, I've, I've found um, that when I go in with very aggressive expectations on how soon things will get implemented. It, it's especially in the case of, um, you know, some recommendations I've made in the past that I've been very passionate about and not just passionate about, but passionate about the impact that I thought it was going to drive only to see it sit on the shelf for um, not just months, but years. <laughs> it can be a little bit soul crushing um, you know, when you're kind of in, in those situations. So I've found in, in not lowering your expectations to the floor, but just being more realistic with your, with yourself. Um, and, and I, you know, if, as I think back to those situations, I now realize maybe I was lying to myself a little bit to think that it was going to get implemented in, in short order and drive amazing impact. And that is a you know a little bit of a glass half empty way of way of looking at it, right? You still should you know have passion and deliver recommendations that you believe in, but uh, you shouldn't let it crush you when they don't get implemented <laughs> implemented quickly. Yeah, it takes a little bit to get used to that because I know I've spent plenty of times where you, I could bet like my whole mortgage <laughs> on like this thing would work and double your revenue coming into the house or coming into your site and. And and they don't do it, and it's one of those where you're you're really worried. Well, I have other clients that implement everything, which is great. Um, so it, it is that balance there, and, and it's not necessarily you or what you're doing is why they can't implement it. It is trying to understand, and and I I try to get that way with my my clients. Like, 
So what is holding us back on these? Oh, you're, you don't have enough resources. Is there any way we can help out with that? Um, or sometimes it is like, hey, we have all these new product features and if they don't get implemented or, or our cart isn't working right, <laughs> we have to spend all our time there. Um, so I try to work with developers and like prioritizing and, and just getting it into their ticketing systems um, on the technical side. And when they get to it, they get to it. And, and you know, just being able to have that open communication, which isn't always the case. You know, uh, some clients I do, some clients I don't. And uh, the ones that I do, I feel like we, we have a lot better relationship and things to get implemented. Um, and the ones where like not anything to do with our side, but a lot of companies are very siloed. So I might be reporting to the marketing manager who doesn't even know their dev team, or I might be reporting to, you know, a, a dev team and they don't work with their internal marketing teams and, or they think marketing is paid and not a CEO and, and things like that. So there, there's a lot of internal politics that you have to deal with, but um, some of that's fun. Like if you, if you and your, your client that you report to have a good rapport, I think you can work together to get past a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I think you, you, you touched on an interesting word and it was a word that I was thinking as, um, as you guys were talking, the word relationship. And like that is often an incredibly, an incre- a relationship and empathy, two of the most overlooked things uh, that need to go well in order for an SEO engagement to be successful. Um, and I say that because uh, there are times where if you've built a good enough relationship, not that the results don't matter, but they don't matter as, as much. And I'll give, you, um, I'll give you an example. And I don't know if you guys feel this way as well. Um, we've got uh, a one particular client where it has been, um, I, I've got a really, really good relationship with my client contact and they're, they're um, a really good advocate for us internally but because of some of the challenges that the business has, has faced, some created by itself in terms of kind of changing business focus, changing direction, going into code freezes for long periods of time, uh, prioritizing other things, you know, that, that, have, that, that are important to the website, but that don't have to do with SEO. There, there have been lots of lags on implementation. Now, when we have gotten implementation, things have uh, things have worked, but I would be kidding myself if I thought that the results that we've driven had anything to do with the fact that that we've got a good relationship with the client and that we're likely to continue to renew. It has nothing to do with the results. It has everything to do with the personal relationship um, that I've developed with my client contact. And that doesn't just, you know, stand for this client, but imagine that especially on the agency side, if you're developing a relationship, it might not just benefit you when your client is at the current company. They may go somewhere else and because they like you and like the work and the honesty uh, that you bring, they may bring you along uh, or ask you to come in um, later on. So I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about relationships versus results or like what you guys have experienced, but that's been my, my experience, even though results are still important, right? But if you can develop a relationship, sometimes that can even supersede results. I think definitely when it comes to developing relationships, and that was always something that we used to think of all the time when we were agency, but actually it's, it's the same when it comes to in-house, because especially if you have a big product and engineering team, um, and you tend to have different product teams split across different functionalities, 
it's really important to build relationships with each and every one of them. And I would say, as opposed to whether the results matter or not, it kind of feels that we are working on something on towards the same goal and towards the same achievement. And that kind of helps in terms of everyone understands everyone's point of views. And I think in terms of empathy, it's really important because there might be other priorities that certain people with certain roles have, and everyone kind of feels that their, you know, their recommendations or what they're working on is priority. And when you have that good relationship and the more you foster it, the more that people start understanding things from different point of views and there's a lot of compromise that tends to happen. So yeah, I feel that it's important to spend time building relationships, but also just genuine relationships, not ones that tend to just affect. And I think with everything happening right now in the world, um, even if you don't work very closely with someone on a specific functionality or something for a while, just kind of checking in and making sure that you maintain that um, is, is really important. And it comes a long way. And people always remember that stuff down the line as well. Yeah, especially now I've, I've said like on, on the agency side, um, and I, I think that's great advice on the in-house side, like don't wait for people to come to you, go to them. Um, yep. Don't wait for them to ask you for an analysis, bring them stuff, like go to people proactively. Um, they will appreciate it uh, down the line. They will remember it. Um, that being said, so Jeff, I want to get into the news. And uh, for those folks that had expected us to uh, hit on the Women in Tech SEO uh, conference and, uh, and group that Arij has created, we're definitely going to talk about that. But I was purposely saving it. So people listening to, to the episode up till now are probably like, why, didn't, why hasn't, haven't they even touched on that? Uh, and for me, that was very purposeful. So I do want to talk about it in the deep dive because I, I want to get into the entire story of founding, uh, founding the, the conference in the group um, and then lead that into diversity. So that's why I'm not just completely omitting it, omitting it. But with that being said, um, Jeff, let's uh, let's talk about the the couple of news stories from today. Sure. So uh, one of the big ones that that I liked was that uh, Google came out and kind of mentioned that um, you know they they've come out with a whole bunch of different guidelines for like how to make sure you mark your business as temporary closed or closed um, during this time. But the one thing that they mentioned in a recent tweet with from the Google My Business Twitter account was that. Um, Marking your business as closed or temporary closed will not affect your search rankings. Um, so I think what it was happening is that people were afraid to mark their their stores closed or temporary closed because they're thinking Google would take them out of the search fields. Um, and and I would have that same thought if I was a small business owner. Um, so Google has kind of mentioned it. it wasn't really an article based on it, but they just said keep customers updated on your status without affecting your search rankings. And then they um, link to an article that was just like how to mark your business close, which I think we talked about last week on that side. Um, but that was actually one I thought was great that Google's coming through and, and kind of saying that, you know, we're in a, a tough time here and, and we know like, again, I was trying to help small business. I think we're all trying to help in our way. And this is, I think, I think a way where Google traditionally might have, hurt your rankings through an algorithm um, that they aren't now. Yeah. Google well, finally, finally not being evil. Yeah. yeah. I, th I, th I personally think Google's been doing such a good job. I mean, their search yep. team been great. has been super responsive. 
a lot of people have had a lot of questions with what's happening right now. Um, all the um, guides that they put out with the st new structured markup as well, um, just super quick, super responsive, really, really helpful for the industry. Um, and a lot of knowledge sharing happening as well. I know that Martin's doing a lot of JavaScript mm -hmm. sessions. Um, they're doing a whole bunch of new Q&As. Um, so just generally super responsive, super helpful. Um, and just, I, I personally find it, I think we're quite lucky generally as an industry um, yep. to be getting a lot of this support um, and a lot of questions just being answered directly from the horse's mouth. Yeah. And I, and I think I, they, they have been awesome. Yeah, I, John and John Mueller and, and Martin Split, page two podcast alum, by the way, um, <laughs> have been in, incredible. Like in, in even outside of what's going on now, they're just generally, they see, I've never met uh, John, we've met Martin. Um, they seem just like incredibly nice human beings uh, that go out of their way to help the industry. So when I, <laughs> when I do kind of joke about Google being evil, it has nothing to do with John and Martin and even Gary. Like those guys are incredible mouthpieces for the company who go out of their way all the time to help people out. So some of the other stuff that goes on at Google that you hear about, uh, not so great, but in, in this case, Google's <laughs> doing a, a fantastic job. Yeah, they've, they've been, they've been awesome. And, and, um, that kind of goes in uh, the second part of my news, which we kind of touched on too, but they have been updating a lot of the schema guidelines and structured data guidelines for, for COVID in general, or just different ways that we can um, handle our business. And some of the examples um, of the special announcements that they put out on there are um, you know, the announcement of shelter in place directives, closure notices, quarantine guidelines, travel restrictions, um, disease spread statistics and maps like they have uh, structured data around that now. So there are a ton of new things out there because we're, it, this happens so quick. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting when people say like, Oh, like this government or this government is, is really botching it. Like it's really hard to steer a ship that, that big to, to change. And I think Google's um, web, web team has been doing a great job of um, implementing new things, teaching us the right way to do it. Um, and, and then maybe like, some of that is like building new code examples and building new schema to, to push live that saying that they'll understand this to, because they, they want to, you know, their goal is to get the best information out there. And, you know, we want to, we want to help them get that information out there at the same time. So if we can structure our stuff for them, they actually really uh, like it really will benefit some people. Yeah. And I think they've been, it's been quite good how detailed a lot of their documentation has been as well. So it's not being built in a way where, oh, you need a developer in order to be able to implement some of this stuff. A lot of it is very, very inclusive um, and very easy to, to follow along. So a lot of effort has been put into it. And also, but I don't want to curse anything, but I have a feeling that they're not going to be releasing an algorithm update anytime soon to be nice to everyone. <laughs> Um, I have a feel because usually you get one around this time of the year in March, but this time we didn't get one. I'm not going to curse anything, but I have a feeling that they're putting that stuff on hold for a bit. Is it like when they put it on hold over the, the Christmas holidays too? I, I honestly, I really, really, really Let's think hope. so. But that means that when things go back to normal, we're probably going to hit, get hit by a whole bunch of stuff in a row, but yeah. it's okay. We don't need to worry about that for now. Yeah. It'll be <laughs> like the, uh, when the, the economy is going to drop, uh, drop sh so low that it's going to have nowhere to go, but, but up. So it's going to come, uh, probably 
roaring roaring back when people are allowed out of their houses again and it's going to be the same thing i feel like with uh with google search like our world is getting flipped on its head and it's going to get flipped on its head probably again when we come out of this yeah we're used to it we're seos we're 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 nothing if not adaptable yep Agreed. And, and yeah, Martin, um, I would recommend, I started watching a couple of them. I, I want to get more into them, but um, Martin Split definitely, he's been doing these, um, which I'm not big on Twitch. I, I just like kind of have an account just to sometimes like to watch some, some things on there. So I haven't actually really gotten into his videos that much, um, but I, I do have it bookmarked and I keep it in like a, a, a tab all the time just because it's like whenever I get a chance, I'm going to watch another one. Um, but he's giving out a ton of information on just like JavaScript and SEO and things like that. Um, Google also released out their webmaster. Uh, I think it was like a conference that they had a lot of the videos from there, which was, which was pretty good. So Google is definitely stepping up, giving out tons of information and trying to help everyone um, in this time of need. Yep. And then the, the last news story kind of makes me chuckle a little bit, but it's, um, because my wife is really uh, big into watching the Tiger King. <laughs> um, and it's a new Netflix show about a guy who has a whole bunch, well, a whole bunch, a couple guys that have uh, too many tigers as pets. <laughs> um, but during one of the episodes, uh, there was towards, uh, towards the end of it, they actually had a little story there where um, if you don't, if you haven't watched the Tiger King, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not going to try to drop any spoilers, though it's all publicly documented stuff that's out there. But there was um, one business called Big Cat Rescue, which tried to rescue all the tigers in there. And one of the guys who owned the tiger shop um, changed his entertainment company to Big Cat Rescue Entertainment to be able to steal some of her search rankings because he was mad that anyone who was looking to have like a tiger education or have a tiger to come onto your set for a movie, she was showing up number one because she had good SEO. So he just tried to steal her company name to get SEO and it worked. He was actually um, doing really well with a lot of that stuff until she sued him for a million dollars or so. And uh, I believe she won that lawsuit there, but there was a whole article in search engine land about it. That was that kind of made me chuckle, but it was also one because it's to me a ridiculous show, but at the same time they talked about SEO in, in it, which I was like, all right, you know, now you got, you got my attention. Uh, yeah, has anyone I, watched the Tiger King? I did. I binged it last weekend and that bit made me laugh so hard. And yeah. I was watching it with my husband and my husband knows what I do, but he's not really convinced SEO is such a thing. And I was like, <laughs> and he was like, oh, that's what you do. And I was like, yes, see, that's exactly what I do. And honestly, I think moving forward, any potential clients, anything like that, all you have to do is just explain to them that bit. The way he explained it on Tiger King was perfect. He summarized it so well. That's exactly what SEO is. Yeah, he's like, she was the first choice every time. So he wanted to take some of their stuff. So it was it was kind of an interesting conversation. I so, never, never thought SEO would make the connection with Tiger King. But then I would also say, like, I I never knew Tiger King was, was a thing until about maybe, like, I don't know, a few days ago when I had to ask my wife, what is Tiger King? And she finally told me. So I'm I'm not hip with the with with what yeah. it, what it, I haven't watched it. <laughs> Yeah, I watched about half of it, and like my wife watched the whole series, so I kept every time me and her would hang out, she'd have it on. So, um, but then she got so into it that she had to sneak them without me. So, <laughs> <laughs> did you get mad That's at her right. when she did? 
No, I didn't. I, I um, I think the peep, the characters are in there are. I know they're real, but I just don't like. Are, they have to be fictional, right? These people actually exist in the world. So. All of the, all of the, the pictures, and I don't know if they're real because basically, like what I've seen happening is is everybody superimposing different people's faces on yes. this guy's face. <laughs> like I think there was uh, a Trump one. There was uh, I think yeah. an OJ Simpson one. There was there's there's been a bunch. Um, the Tiger Woods one, Tiger King, Tiger Woods, uh, which I thought was probably the most logical connection. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's been, it's been insane. And the only thing I can ever think of when I've thought about the premise is like, for whatever reason, I'm making the connection to dog, the bounty hunter. And you guys will have to tell me like, am I like super far off in terms of like, maybe that's the type of person that the Tiger King people are. Or, I don't, I don't know. I, I that's Could what be. I, I just think if you own 200 tigers, like as pets, you're just a little off. He I mean, whether 200? it's 270 something. How is that even legally allowed? It's not. And that's oh. part of the show too. So, <laughs> but he okay. would breed I guess them. I just have to watch. <laughs> yeah. He would breed them and sell them. So. Who's buying tigers? Mike Tyson. I don't know. Again, this is all part of the show. Probably. I just need to watch and stop. Everybody's exactly. Stopping. Now I get into it. Right. Okay. Cool. But that's all really right. what I had in for the news. Oh, Jeff, there was a, there was another, and I'm, I, I'm about three quarters of the way through the article, but Patrick Stocks, another page two podcast oh, yeah. alum, wrote a really, really great uh, page speed article for Ahrefs or just HREFs, as the hip folks call it. Um, really, really good uh, piece of It's very technical. Um, yes. So if you're a technical SEO, you're going to love it. If you're not a technical SEO, it's probably going to be a, a rough article for, for you. But um, I would recommend reading it. Really good article. Yeah, I'm about halfway through that one too. I have, that's, another, that's my other tab that's open 24-7 yeah. right now. <laughs> it's a book, basically. Anyways, it so- is. Let's move into the the deep dive. And as I mentioned before, uh, today's episode we're gonna we're gonna uh, dive back into the subject of diversity. Um, and I was telling Arij, uh, or we were telling Arij before we jumped on, like Jeff and I, you know, we did talk about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we come at it from a position of we realize that we are very privileged. We're we're both, uh, you know, uh, 30, 30 year old and 40 year old, uh, that age range white dudes. Uh, so like if we've, I can't even think of a time when I've experienced any level of discrimination of any, of any kind. Um, so the perspective that I'm taking is just from stuff that I've seen from, and I don't even want to say the outside looking in the inside looking out probably is the better way to describe it. Um, so Arij, we're going to, we're really going to rely on, on your perspective heavily here. Um, and not only that, I would love for you to tell the story of how you founded and why you founded the women in tech SEO group and how it became a conference. Yeah. So last year at around this time, I would say, um, I put a tweet out offering, uh, to help out any women who are starting out in SEO, um, who just needed any kind of support or any form of guidance. I just set up like a calendly thing where I would dedicate a few hours of my week in having these calls. Um, and the main reason I've really done that is that there, I'm very privileged that I had a lot of women in my career who helped me a lot and who inspired me a lot. 
Um, and so I just wanted to give back. Um, and it was quite interesting because I did, um, I don't remember how many, maybe 30, 40 calls. And uh, even though the, the audience, it was dedicated for people who were starting off in SEO, a lot of the people who signed up for the calls were ones who were actually quite experienced and knowledgeable and have been doing it for quite a while, um, but felt very overwhelmed and felt that they were just not good enough or they were not technical enough um, or that they just weren't quite sure um, how they could be promoted um, and so forth. So that just got me thinking that it would be quite good to have a community where we can all support one another. Um, and so in May uh, of last year, I started the Women in Tech SEO community. Um, and initially it was just a Facebook group, uh, but I had a hundred people join in the first week, which I was not expecting at all, because all I'd done was just tweet out about it. And then afterwards I thought, well, it would be quite nice if we could all come together in one place. And that's when I started the London meetups. Um, and so the plan was to have a monthly London meetup where we'd only have women speakers and women attendees. Um, and we'd encourage a lot of first time speakers. Um, yeah, so that's how it kind of all started. So it's almost a year now this May. Um, our Facebook group is almost a thousand people. I think we're at like 980. Um, We've got a Slack community now, which hosts a lot of virtual meetups. That's around 600 people. Um, and we hosted, since last June, we hosted monthly London meetups. Um, and then, yeah, this March, we hosted our first full-day conference, which, which was amazing. Got sold out, 250 uh, people attended, and we had 11 speakers. Yeah, I was going to ask, what does it feel like to be the leader of uh, such a powerful conference? And not only that, like to be able to have probably been the last big SEO conference to have snuck in before all of the COVID-19 stuff kind of hit. I, I'm so lucky. You have no idea. I've, <laughs> I was so stressed out because it all, like the conference was on Friday, March 6th. And then the Monday right before that, things really started. A lot of people were starting to get worried um, it was starting to get quite bad in Italy. Um, and I was like, oh my God, is this thing going to get canceled? It cannot get canceled. And then we literally just scraped by because um, everything afterwards started getting canceled. And literally it was another week or two when things started getting really bad. So I am really, really, really lucky that, that we managed to, to, to go ahead as planned. And it was such a wonderful day. Like everything, of course, in my mind, I had visualized every possible worst case scenario, but none of it happened <laughs> and everything went really, really well. So are you going to do, uh, do it again next year? Uh, I'd love to, uh, the day before the night before it, uh, everyone asked and I was like, Nope, we had like a speaker's dinner and they're like, so are you going to do it again next year? I was like, never, I'm never doing this again. I'm never going to put myself through this again, the level of stress. <laughs> but then the day just went so well that I was like, okay, I guess I should do this again. <laughs> yeah. The guys from traffic think tank. So we've had Nick Eubanks and, and Ian Howells on and they do traffic think tank live and they shared I feel like a very similar experience to you. And one of the pieces of advice that they gave was to actually like work with an event planner. Who's the one that has all of the connections already. And yeah, so he's part of everything. Similar experience. Yeah, I didn't do that. I literally, I had to plan everything from the start. Um, I started planning it in August and the conference was in March and I overthought every little tiny detail 
Um, and I was really bad at asking for help, which I'm, I'm not going to do the second time around. I'm definitely going to ask for help. Um, and it was just most of my evenings and weekends. And yeah, it took up a lot of time, but I'm, I'm really, really glad I, I put it together. It went really well. So let me ask you, um, what are some of the biggest challenges facing women from, from uh, I don't know, just, a, just an existing within the SEO industry standpoint? I think for me, just one of the first things that I noticed straight away was every time I attended a conference, the technical SEO uh, room or the technical SEO sessions, it just, it lacked women. There weren't women there. Um, and then generally when you start looking at speaker lineups in our industry, they're never 50-50. They're always far away from it. Just the other day, and I'm not going to name, but there was a series of webinars that got announced and it looked really, really exciting. But I opened the website and there were three women and 40 men. And I was like, but why? Why when I have a community that has a thousand global women in it, it means there are people out there, there are women who are in technical SEO, but for some reason, they just, they don't get thought of, they don't get prioritized, they don't get invited and also, even within their companies and within their roles, they don't get promoted as well. They tend to stay within that, whether they reach that middle management level, and then they kind of stop at that. Um, so, yeah, I think as an, as an industry, there's, there's still a lot that needs to be done. Um, but I feel like having this community or having different initiatives in different companies helps a lot. Because what's starting to happen now is I do get a lot of people getting in touch with me, event organizers, um, asking, we're putting this together and we need some recommendations who might be interested. So I feel like having that in the forefront of people and knowing that communities like that exist where you can go, you can reach out and you can see um, who can speak in your events or who can write a blog on your website or so forth. Then you, you have an area or you have a place where you can reach out uh, for people rather than just go with, with what's familiar basically. I think that when you look at the tech side of, of just not just SEO, but the tech side of just tech, it is very male dominated. And I think that is changing, but I, I also, I don't, th at least from my opinion, I don't see it as being purposeful in a lot of ways. I think uh, some people have maybe different interests and stuff like that, but I I've, was kind of lucky in my career where I have had like, most positions I was at um, up to like now where like I had someone uh, as a woman or, or someone of uh, a minority as either like a director above me or ran like the whole department or actually ran the company. So I, I think as I was going up and I'm, you know, there was a lot of like Twitter, you know, drama and things like that going on. Like I don't, I don't ever, not that I don't ever see it. Maybe it's like, I'm not looking for it, but I don't see uh like there was a ton of just Twitter comments that were going out there about like certain types of conferences and things. But I guess when I go to a conference, like I go there, I watch the, you know, the presentations and then I usually maybe like go through the expo halls or something like that. And then, then I'm like out. So uh, maybe I'm, I'm there at after hours hanging out and, and seeing things like that. But I would agree that when you look on stage, it, there is like a one type of person up there. And, and so on, like, I don't really speak at conferences. I, I don't even go to many conferences anymore, but I, I really like think about that. And I'm like, yeah, why aren't there more people in there? Because I've worked with such amazing people. Um, 
and whether it was technical or like I, I work on SEO teams where I might be the technical person, but the person that's leading the strategy or leading, you know, content strategy um, is, you know, would be a female or something like that. So it's one of those where I, I, I feel like in the conference circuit that it is like one sided for some reason. And um, I don't know if it's just because of confidence or if it is, if it is systematic because I don't know people who throw conferences. You're, you're actually one of the, the first people I met that threw a conference. Um, so it's definitely important to, to have that out there too. How do you handle like, I guess the opposite side of that, right? Where it's like you have an all woman conference and I have seen you post things where, um, you have, you know, those arrogant guys going, oh, if we had an all men in SEO conference, we'd be, you know, you'd be up in arms, but, you know, having all women or someone, I think you posted someone who, like, who acted like he was a girl to get into your group and then, like, turned around or did something like that. Like, how do you handle that aspect when you're trying to kind of be um, a different group than what, what, you know, that's out there and then the people that are negative towards it? Yeah, I mean, when we with the community itself, it, it was fine. We didn't really get much backlash or any issues. But when I announced the conference, definitely faced some backlash then. I had a bunch of people tell me that this was illegal to have a conference with paid tickets that was only for women and that this was discriminatory. Um, so that was, yeah, that was interesting to have to deal with. I think some, uh, some people believe that there isn't much of a purpose behind... Um, all women communities, they, they think it's pointless. And, and that's fine. Like some people might, might feel that way. Um, I feel the complete opposite. Personally, I've always been very inspired and very motivated from all women communities. And a lot of the women we do have in the community have said the same. It's interesting because it's even to the extent that some of the talks that our first time speakers uh, present in some of these meetups, um, they feel much more comfortable presenting it to to yeah. a safe environment and they, they feel for them it's kind of like the first step in order to then go and you know take on like a bigger stage or a bigger conference or so forth so yeah pe people are going to have different perspectives on it but i i personally believe that like we need all all women spaces in order to help with um confidence and and to just raise that level of awareness you know i find I was going to say, I find it funny. Like basically the situation is now, like what we're saying is basically conferences are almost like all men, or at least in terms of the people that are getting the most publicity, it's like slanted 75% or more towards, towards the male gender. So like, come on people, what is, what is wrong with people? Why, why would somebody take the time to do that? Life is too short to do that type of crap. Yeah. I don't understand. Um, but what I would, what I would say, like, again, from the inside looking, looking out, um, I know for a fact that everywhere that I've, that I've worked at uh, agency side, um, when I've been in house, I've been part of really, really small teams. Uh, so it wasn't really as, as noticeable, but uh, when I've been agency side working with larger SEO teams, it's been, 80% maybe, I, if I had to put a number to it, 80% men versus women. And not only that, like when it comes to the distribution of the roles, when you're thinking of just like your intro roles and your mid manager, and then like your director roles, honestly, most of the directors have been men. And I've always wondered why, why that is. Um, and I, 
I do remember, you know, when I first started uh, at, at an agency um, back in 2011, there was a really bad ass uh, woman. And Jeff, uh, you, you know her, Allison Dooley, who used to be an SEO director. Um, and she's not well known, but she was a badass, like just certifiable, badass, great leader, very knowledgeable. Um, but she was the only one. And when she left, there just was nobody else on the, um, on the female side of things there. And it was just all, all men. And it was actually a little, um, a little de- depressing. And, and I know for a fact that the people who were kind of coming up during that time at that agency, like the, the people being the, the, the women, like it, it was a problem for them. And, and for me, it was very difficult to like, know what to say to them in terms of like what I could do to help fix the situation other than to help try to make their contributions more known and um, make people in positions to do the things that they needed to do to help people, you know, move up the ranks and get promoted, you know, kind of be an enabler for the, the women that I worked with and really kind of push their contributions uh, forward. And that was the only thing that I knew how to do. But Arij, I would ask you, you know, for people that are in a position to pull strings or for people that are, that are, you know, maybe not in a position to pull strings, so to speak, to help people out directly, but indirectly, like maybe myself and Jeff, like what advice would you give to us to make sure that there was more equal representation I think the next time someone gets asked to judge an award, speak in a conference, uh, write a blog post for a search engine journal, the first thing they should ask is a, what's, what's the split? How many other, what, what's the gender split look like? What's the diversity split look like? Who else have you been in touch with before you just jump in and say yes? If this is something you've done so many times before that mm-hmm. you don't really need it, suggest someone else instead of you. Suggest your colleague who hasn't had much of an opportunity before, but you know that she's just as good and she would do a really, really good job. So start doing that rather than taking on all the opportunities and just call call these things out. Um, I feel like if if it's just us, like if it's just women who go and ask, how come the lineup looks like this or or so forth, then then that will make it quite difficult. If we are all allies and if we all help one another with this, then it makes a massive, massive difference. That is some excellent, excellent advice. And you're right. There are um, a lot of people. It's, it's, I just call it the SEO conference circuit. There are some people that are on the circuit and have been on the circuit for a while that I'm sure could, you know, could definitely make those, those types of suggestions. Uh, and as for my, as for myself, I don't speak very much either. And I don't really have the, um, I don't know, the, the, uh, hankering to go out and do a lot of, uh, a lot of public speaking, but I know on our show, which is basically our public speaking forum, um, balance has been a big, uh, not, not something that we've promoted, but it's been a big behind the scenes consideration because we want perspectives from all different, uh, walks of life. So that has been a big, uh, big focus for us. So Jeff, did you want to, did you want to kind of close out the, the episode and ask our, 
our final question. <laughs> <laughs> so we ask this question of everybody who comes on the show, and it is, if you were getting into SEO today, um, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is brand new to the industry? So not you getting into SEO. Someone was coming into SEO, and, and they asked you for advice. What would be that one piece of advice that you would give them? Um implementation 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 to really 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 focus on that and yeah i think i think it just goes back to what we were talking about initially in terms of you know even if you have to recommend that one thing that makes a massive difference go with that so just always go with quality and importance of something being done as opposed to you know just let's let's dump a whole bunch of stuff in one go and just patience because things take a very, very long time and to be kind to yourself when things get difficult. So yeah, a, a bit of those three, I would say. Patience is a virtue and that is one of my worst qualities, uh, especially, especially in work. So that is something that I constantly have to tell myself, even uh, 14 years in patience is a virtue. Um, so Arij, oh, and there's my little meeting ticker. So <laughs> thank you for, uh, for coming on. Thank you for uh, being willing to talk about what can, in my opinion, be kind of a tough subject in, in diversity. Uh, we probably didn't get to dive as deep as, you know, as maybe we would have, we would have liked, or we could, we probably could talk about it for hours, but even so I would just say um, thank you. Thank you for your contributions uh, to the industry and, uh, for creating uh, such an awesome group. So I, I think from, from our show, uh, we would just say thank you. It's, we think it's really great. Yeah, thank you. And it was really, really good to be hosted t today. Um, so yeah, thanks for taking the time and thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, if you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing. <laughs>